Thank you, guys. Philippians chapter 4 in your Bibles. I think that's a sign that you've done a good job when you totally rock the guitar so much that your strap falls off, right? That was, that was good stuff. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 4 through 9. Let's go ahead and read that together here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now notice the result here. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, as we take a few moments and try to dive into your word and unpack the truth that you've given us, I pray, God, that you would help us to listen, that you would open our hearts. And Lord, for the ones here today who struggle with anxiety, with depression, being stressed out perpetually, with worrying nonstop, having their perfectionists drive, drive them into the ground. Lord, would you help us to see this text for what it is and is an absolute gem from your word? Would you help us to break free of worrying about things that we can't control? And would you save people today? In Jesus' name, amen. There in your outline, the bullets, and I included a statement from C.S. Lewis from the Screwtape Letters, which, if you've never read that, it's a correspondence from two demons. The, it's this correspondence of this older, more, uh, I guess you could say, educated demon on leading people away from Christ, trying to teach this younger one how to do it. And here's a statement from the book, and I, it's so important, especially with this message that I included it. So here it is. Look at it with me. The best way to make Christians into atheists is to stop them thinking about God and get them thinking about their own states of mind about God. See the difference there? Get them hopelessly preoccupied with their feelings and doubts and stop them turning to God. Make them wallow in their uncertainties so that they get despondent and discouraged. The driving thought of this text, of this message, is that when, when the what-if questions come, we should be reminded of the what we know about the one that we know. In other words, often doubts in our lives come from things in our lives, and we begin to worry. Are you a worrier? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you been around a worrier? Are you sitting next to a worrier? No elbows, Right? Those types of things, when people get in that state to where we begin to worry and worry and get stressed out, often it's what, what Dr. Gary Habermas calls the what-if syndrome. It's the, well, I know everything's okay, but what if this happens? 
What if that happens? I know that we paid the bills this month, but what if what if the air conditioning unit goes out? I know that my husband and wife has been faithful to me, but what if they're not? I know that my kid is making good grades, but what if they're dealing drugs? On the, I mean, what if, what if, what if? And we will never, ever get peace. That's why I included it in here. Look at it with me. When the what if comes... Cling to, grab a hold of, bear hug the quote, what you know about the who you know. In other words, when these doubts of what if and worst case situations come, we should remind ourselves of what we know about Jesus. Amen, church? Because it is when the storm hits that we're going to look for something to hold on to. And if there's no depth there in your life of Jesus loving, Jesus passion, all about the Lord, then you're going to go to something else that's, that's going to destroy you. Let me just be honest. Um, the, I had I don't normally have dreams, but it, this is not you know like some pro- prophetic thing. I, I normally like when I'm out, I wake up, I don't know where I am, I don't know what happened. I mean, I'm just zoned out. I mean. Go to sleep and sleep with a vengeance. Y'all with me? All right? I had a dream the other week. It was one of these bad dreams. Now, for a pastor, it's a little bit different than it may be for you. This is no joke. I dreamed that I walked into the church, and there were church members all in the kids' area, and they had one group on this side and one group on this side, and everybody was fighting about where to put the kids' toys. Now that may, that may not register with you, but as a pastor, that's your worst dream. You say, now, Je- Pastor Jeff, was I in the dream? Was it I? Was it I? It was kind of fuzzy, alright? And I went in, I was like, oh no, because if you're a pastor and you've got two sets of adults that are chronologically adults, but maturity-wise kids, it's a bad thing. This is a good church. By the way, if you're visiting here, we don't... Business meetings are not a big deal here. That ought to give you a little clue, alright? It wasn't the type of idiot. But it's one of those things I begin to worry and then I woke up and you know what? The what if didn't happen. Now if y'all got like some secret business meeting planned over there, you know, to do something with the toys, go, you know, go for it. But often we have those thoughts and we begin to think, we, we, we push away from Philippians chapter 4 verse 5 when it says to rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And then Paul says, again I will say, Rejoice. What he's saying is that when, and, and by the way, he's talking to a group of people who've been under pressure. Have you been under pressure before, right? Like especially, it is getting students that time to where finals are coming up. and get an amen, okay? And all the people who are out of school get to walk by and say, well, remember how that was. And they just walk on and leave you there wallowing in your own self-pity, okay? Stress, deadlines, finals, uh, drama of all sorts. Paul's writing to people who've been through stuff. And his, his, I guess you could say, his remedy is to rejoice. So what does it mean to be rejoicing? Does that mean that I'm like some person at church and I come in and I've got this weird grin on my face? Everybody's like, how are things? You're like, fine, fine, great. You? Good, awesome, perfect, wonderful. No, I don't have any problems. I mean, is that, is that rejoicing? Here's what it means to rejoice. It means to gain your joy from. It means to be rooted in to where you get excited about the Lord. Which that means that when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you still woke up. Amen? Alright? Like you're still here, and so you should rejoice in the Lord. When you have one of those weeks, like the, la- the other week we had, all- not yesterday, we had all that rain. I-, I went to the store because I had like two cans of, you know, soup or something. And so I went to the store, and I bought a big thing of blueberries. Alright? That is good brain food. And I got the blueberries, and I was getting, every- getting the stuff out of the car, and it was raining, and my car was on an incline. I opened the door, and guess what fell out? 
all the blueberries. It was one of those little rivers that go along the edge of the road right here. And there's like blueberry fest all down Church Street. You know, and it's at those moments that you just get frustrated. The Bible says when you have those days where your blueberries get washed down the street, rejoice in the Lord. Amen? Alright, it doesn't say when things are good, rejoice in the Lord, but rejoice in the Lord always. But if you're like me, sometimes you can come to that and you say, well, always. I mean, that's Paul. I mean, hey, look at me. I'm Paul. I've got books in the Bible that I wrote. Y'all okay? Because often we may not say that, but when we see things in the Bible, we, can, we kind of like put the Bible on this pedestal and say, well, that, that was written, God used humans to write the Bible, which we, by the way, at this church, believe that it's 100% the Word of God, no errors, it is factually true, and it is the power of God unto salvation. We are not ashamed of the Gospel, alright? Make that very clear. But, sometimes we come to the Bible and we say, well, that, that wasn't, I mean, those, those people, like, Paul, you know, Jesus appeared to him, knocked him off his horse, and all this amazing miracles, and, you know, we, but here's me. I, I work in Roanoke. I work in Rocky Mountain. I, I live in Fairham. I, I'm, from, I'm from Virginia. I'm from the U.S. I'm not from there in that time and that culture. It's timeless truth. And what we're going to try to do today is walk through the rest of this to free those of you who doubt, not because you're not sure if the resurrection happened, but it's because you have over the years begun to live based upon how you feel instead of what you know is true. Again, I will say rejoice. Now notice the next verse there in verse number 5. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. In other words, remember that God is near. Now you can train. You say, now Jeff, our thinkers are going, okay, does that mean that God is chronologically near, like His return is near? Or does that mean that He's spatially near? You can translate it both ways, and both ways work. The coming of Jesus is near. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, so be ready. Right? What do the Boy Scouts say? They say, be prepared. Be ready. All right? Got Bryce back there tying a knot. Okay? But Boy Scouts, be prepared. And so for us to be ready for the Lord's return is to get saved. Say, man, Jeff, what is getting saved? And some of you have been here in church a long time. Let me just say it again. Being saved is not turning over a new leaf. Being saved is not being better. Being saved is not saying, well, I'm going to start going to church now when used to I was lazy and slept in on Sunday morning. It's not being saved. Being saved is where you come to the point you realize you could never do anything good enough to get God to save you. And you come to Him totally and completely and you bow down in your heart or out and you just give it all to Him. You repent. You transfer trust to Jesus. And at that point, the Bible says you are saved, you are born again, your heart is transformed, and you'll never be the same. That's what getting saved is, because the Lord's at hand. You say, Jeff, what does this mean, reasonableness? I've got a a version that translates it differently. Um, When it speaks of God's nearness and our reasonableness... You can translate this word reasonableness, and there are different ways to translate it. This is is from the the Greek um, lexicon. Not insisting on every right or letter of law or custom, yielding gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. You know what that means? It means that you don't keep tit for tat on different people. You know, a lot of Christians and churches all across America are self-stressed out because they will not forgive. You ever been around a person like that? I mean, they hold... I'm not talking about accountability. If you do anything wrong to them, that you are cut off forever. 
You're excommunicated. You are no longer trustworthy. You are now on the kill or the gossip list. Same thing. Or Scripture says to forgive. Scripture says to be reasonable. It means to be sweet. It means to be giving in. It means to treat people. Please check this out. It means to treat people with the spirit of grace that God has given you in the way that He's treated you. And I've thought about this before. If we treated people, if God treated people the way that we treat them, or if God treated us and our sin the way we deal with what other people do against us, A lot of us wouldn't even be alive right now. So why the scripture says to forgive, to be reasonable? Because here's the thing. When you come to that point where you are stressed and you're experiencing anxiety, a lot of that can be alleviated when you simply forgive people because you're not in bondage to them anymore. Can I get an amen? It means that the chain has been cut. Not only that, but allow God's nearness to influence how you deal with people. That's what it's saying. Now notice in verse 6, the Bible says, Do not be anxious for what? About anything. Nothing. You say, well, Jeff, I've got it. If I don't worry about it, who's going to worry about it? I'm the warrior in this family. Somebody's got to be stressed out. Somebody's got to be holding everybody to it. By the way, being organized is not the same thing as being stressed. Let me stop right here for just a moment. There are some of you, and God has wired you to be that type of person to where you are just a free spirit. You're happy-go-lucky. You just say, well, let's just enjoy the ride. You're lost, right? You have nowhere where you're going, right? The car's about to fall. Let's just enjoy life. And there's others of you that the Lord has wired to be very detailed people. So often a sermon like this, when you deal with anxiety and stress, half the people are like, well, duh, just give it to the Lord. And then they look to the person on their right or left, and the person's like, I'm trying. And C.S. Lewis said something very, very, very profound. I'm not going to give you a direct quote because I can't remember it, but I'm going to give you the gist of it. He had something to say about those who were wired in such a way that it was naturally more difficult for them to do brave things. It was naturally more difficult for them to be warm with people. And so we said the ones who God has given with just natural bravery, natural people skills, He says, let that be your offering back to God the way that you love people. But for the ones who naturally struggle with it, if you're a person and you look at this, you say, Jeff, it's telling me not to worry. But I say, Lord, help me not to worry. And I'm worrying about whether it's going to work when I ask the Lord to help me stop worrying. For those of you, you just you say, Jeff, I can't get away from it. God can be greatly glorified in your life. Because please please hear me. Often people who are wired to be a little bit more stress-oriented, you think that you're second-class Christians, but here's the key. The fact that you have natural issues with anxiety and doubt, sometimes even depression, is more evidence of God's, the ability for God to do a work in your life. Let me unpack that. Say, Jeff, what about those people and they don't seem to ever get stressed out? Maybe the Lord has wired you in such a way not to cause you to be stressed, but for you to be a very detailed person so that the Lord could teach you to be more dependent upon Him. 
I mean, could, could it be that the Lord has created different people with different gifts in the sense that some are more inclined to worry? So the ones that are more inclined to worry can learn to trust the Lord more so that they can tell all the other warriors that that's not a road that you have to go down, that the Lord can take you and make you free from that, you see. That's why the Bible says to not be anxious about anything. You say, okay, now Jeff, how do I obey this? You ever been in a sermon before and you know what's being said is the right thing? You're reading the Bible, you're like, amen, but how do I do it? Okay? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but often we, we get into this descriptive thing, right? Say, well, the righteous person needs to love God. Amen. Man and the woman who loves the Lord needs, needs to follow Him. Amen. But then the little question in the back of our mind is like, how do you do that? Let me give you several things. This is straight from the Bible. I'm not making this up. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer, which is bringing requests towards God. Somebody says, what is supplication? Here's what supplication is if you're taking notes. Supplication is an earnest entreaty. You could translate this if you want to to get kind of rough. It would be prayer on steroids. It is the passionate type of prayer that you bring before the Lord with what? Somebody help me out. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Let me give you another C.S. Lewis quote. He says, unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. You know what he's saying is, if we don't understand this, we don't practice this, we're just going to be dominated by our moods. And if you've ever been around someone, if you heard the song, I think it was uh, O.C. Supertone several years ago called Mood Rings, the song, he was talking about his significant other, she would just wear a mood ring every once in a while, I'd be able to kind of prepare myself for what's coming. If you've ever been around a person, they are dominated by their feelings, it's not a fun existence. And you don't have to say Amen. Let me get serious for just a moment. You take a man or a woman and they have not learned how to take things before the Lord. They have not learned about how when they experience anxiety to start praying, to start really praying and start thanking God for what He's already done for them. If you're around or you're married to or your mother or father or your brother or sister is a person who does not practice this, you have experienced what it means to be stressed out. Because what happens, y'all know this is true, they begin to go all on feelings, and then that begins to spread in the family, and then by the time an hour has passed, everybody's stressed out. It's like a cold in a nursery or a preschool. One kid comes one day sick, next week they're all sick. Say, Jeff, how can I stop that? We know what the problem is. Dr. Gary Habermas, when he was teaching on this subject of doubt, and I'm not going to read the whole statement to you, but he said this was in an academic setting, a professional meeting of scholars. And he raised the question, and he was teaching on this text, and he said, how many of you have ever practiced Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, and when you've experienced doubt, stress, anxiety, begin to, as much as you could with all your strength, begin thanking God for 10 minutes straight for everything that He's done to you. Hands went up all over the room. You know what the testimonies were? In just a few minutes, my anxiety began to decrease. 
It just didn't take long at all for the stress to deflate. Why is that? Well, here's the thing. When stress and anxiety and doubts and emotional trauma from the past come back and hit us, you may be sailing along and all of a sudden something that happened 15 years ago that you're so ashamed that it happened, the Satan will bring that back and begin to try to put that in front of your face and say, no, 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 God has not changed your life. You remember what you did here. And then if we don't understand to do this, we'll begin to go down the road of defining ourselves by our past. But what happens when we begin to praise and thank God? You remember back in the um, book of Acts, Paul and Silas, they were there in that jail. And this was not an American jail with the Bill of Rights, Miranda rights and so forth. Remember they were stretched out and put into the stocks, locked down. Then guards came in and, and, and beat them on the back until they were raw and threw them in the, in the prison, in the jail. You know what they began to do? They began to sing praises to God. You know what God did? Supernatural miracle. See, so Jeff, how can you believe in miracles? That's easy. If God exists, which is very easy to believe that, then if God exists, then miracles therefore have the possibility to exist. Amen? Like it's pretty follows. It's logical. We can break that down in weeks to come. By the way, if you've got a friend who doubts if this is actually true, next week that, that we're going to walk all through the evidence on how you actually know intellectually, historically, logically that the resurrection happened and we're going to deal with those types of doubts. Remember what happened? God showed up with Paul and Silas. He busted all the doors open. The chains fell off and the lead jailer, the one who was overseeing this torture, got saved. Not only did he get saved, but his family got saved. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never been interrogated in a pagan prison. Some of us in here, you say, well, Jeff, I've, I've made a few little trips down to our friends at the Franklin County Jail, but that was my fault, okay? I have never been placed in torturous prison situations for the cause of Christ. Don't you think that they would have a little bit of reason, at least if they were Americans, to be stressed out? Imagine if that was us. God, you don't understand. I'm Paul. I have been in church every Sunday. I have started churches. I've preached. I have taught. I've led people to the Lord. And this is how you repay me. Don't you think sometimes that may be what we may think? But here's the same man who is there and he's teaching and everything when you notice what he says, look, look at it with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the pew there. Um, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, notice what happens in verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's what happens when we obey the Bible. When we begin to get stressed, we begin to get anxious. When we begin to doubt, and but when the Bible says to start praying and thanking God. God, what will happen is slowly those doubts will dissipate. This is not a magic cure. This is not abracadabra. But the, the fears and the anxiety will eventually go away. And instead of having that spirit of oppression crushing you down, what will happen is the peace of God. Now notice it doesn't say it goes against understanding or it's illogical, but it supersedes. It overwhelms all human reason. And notice what the peace of God will do for you mentally. If you're a person and you have, you've gone to counseling before, you say, Jeff, I have emotional issues. Notice what the Bible says will happen. The peace of God will guard your hearts. 
That's a military term. God, the peace of God will set a watch around your emotions, who you are, and your minds. And it's very interesting in the, the clinical professional counseling realm today. There's two schools of thought, all right? The nerds will like this. One is the Freudian. Remember Sigmund Freud? He said it's all happened, everything that happens to you today is a result of in the past. There's another one, and it's called cognitive. It says the way that you deal with counseling situations is you deal with the thinking patterns. That sounds, but guess what? It actually works. It actually works. Doesn't that sound strangely familiar about like something that was written over 2,000 years ago that it's not just thinking good thoughts about yourself or I'm okay, you're okay, but the Bible says right here to begin to think. Notice in verse number 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, gives a whole list. Think about these things. She asked you a question. Think about the things that we've thought about this past week. Have they been this? Notice, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. I'm running out of fingers. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about the Lord. Listen to Christian music. Amen? Like there's some good stuff out there. If you like bluegrass, there's Christian bluegrass. There's Christian country. There's Christian rap. There's Bill Gaither. There's Christian... Rock. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's Christian polka, but I mean, whatever your brand of... Whatever gets your groove on, okay? There is music out there. Not all of it's good. I encourage you to... Parents especially. Just because it says Christian doesn't mean that it is. Mentioning God one time in the whole album of like 15 songs does not make it Christian, okay? We're not being legalist. We're just saying uh, it's got to be about Christ. Find some good stuff that uplifts you. Get some hill song. If you like Southern Gospel, man, pop in Bill Gaither with the flow, yo. I mean, put it in there and, and listen to that and sing with it and praise God through the music. And what you will find is that instead of filling your mind with the garbage that comes through the radio and the TV and all the, all the junk we get, and it's hard to stay away from, when you begin to fill your mind, notice what it says, think about so that the mind is focused upon these things, which is nothing more than attributes of God. Guard your hearts and your minds. Then notice it doesn't just say think about it. This is not a transcendental book on meditation. Notice in verse number 9, I love this, where he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, what does he say? Just do, practice, continually obey these things and what will be with you. Peace of God. Have you ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress? And there was a point to where Pilgrim and his companion came to this place called Doubting Castle. And the story goes that there is this giant giant, like that, just to make sure he's, he's big, okay? And he captured these two pilgrims, these two Christians, and he threw them in jail, gave them no food, no water, pulled a, a crab tree out of the ground and began to beat them. I thought they were going to die, kept them in there for days on end. And then this is what John Bunyan writes. Well, on Saturday about midnight, they began to pray and continued in prayer till almost the break of day. Now, a little before it was day, good Christian, as one half amazed, broke out into this passionate speech. What a fool am I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. 
I have a key in my bosom called promise, capital P, that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then said Hopeful, that is good news, brother. Pluck it out and try. And you know what he did? He reached into his coat and he pulled out a key, symbolic of the promises of God. And he said, well, I wonder if it's going to work. He stuck it into the old iron gate and he slowly turned it and it opened every gate, every lock in Doubting Castle. That is symbolic metaphor from John Bunyan, who actually was in prison for more than a decade because he would not back down from preaching Jesus. It's a picture to us that we begin to go through times of emotional doubt, not feeling saved, thinking about the things that happened to us and thinking that that's going to happen. What if, God, to reach into our heart and pull out the key of promise? Amen? The promise of God's Word is the Bible says, don't be anxious, but begin to pray. Pray with supplication and then give thanksgiving and the peace of God will be with you. James, some of you, probably most of us know uh, James Enquist. He, he's been in Virginia Beach for the last couple of weeks helping out family. You know that one of his brother-in-laws uh, was a Navy SEAL uh, that fell in battle back in October over in Afghanistan. And he's there um, helping out uh, his sister-in-law again this weekend. He's got two there. Um, the one whose husband uh, fell in battle. He's got two little boys. Two little boys. He was out there helping. and He's out there running a 5K again this weekend. And he gave me permission to tell you this story. Um, last weekend, there's <clears throat> even a guy here from Franklin County that went and ran it with him. When the whole deployment of SEALs came back, they were going to go run a marathon in honor of Caleb Nelson, the young man who died for our country. The young man who was also with Caleb on the ATV when the IED hit lost both of his legs and one arm. They've been able to, to fit him with prosthetics, and he's able to, to walk. But because he was there, and because they don't leave anybody behind, they put him in one of those big, like a roller stroller. And each one out of that squad, even James took part in it, they pushed him the whole marathon. James said he's got a great sense of humor because he was saying, why, what, why are you guys complaining? I mean, how, why is this so hard? I thought about that. I thought about the book of Jude. Just a few verses. It has that one verse. And it says, And have mercy on those who doubt. If we're like any other congregation in the U.S., we probably have people in here and you are so filled with anxiety and doubt that you need someone else to come. You need someone else to help you. You say, I'm so stressed. I'm so worried. I've been through this. Here's what this church is for. We are there as your brothers and sisters in Christ. When we have been mangled by the world, when people have gone through things such as abuse of all sorts, been through things like divorce, been through things such as growing up in a home to where there was no love and you were put down all the time. And then we come to this beautiful book and we read that God is our perfect Father and we can't understand how. It is true. And often we feel like that seal. We say, well, I've been blown up by the world. I feel like I can be of no use. That's where the church of Jesus Christ comes in. And we will wield each other all the way until God calls us home. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, For the righteous falls seven times 
and rises again. When those what-if questions hit, you remind Satan, you remind your old nature of the what you know about the one you know. And he is mighty to save and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes so that we're not distracted during this time of commitment. This is the invitation today. For you, believer, you struggle with this emotional doubt, with anxiety. I ask you during this time of commitment, say, Lord, as I commit to you, I'm asking you to help me to start today. That when I begin to have those feelings that tell me what I know is true, isn't true, Lord, I want to commit today to begin to give you praise, to give you thanksgiving when those feelings hit. Lord, right now, would you change my heart and help me to begin to pray and to praise when the feelings hit. Also, some of you need to talk to someone. Here's going to be the invitation for you. If you have your bulletin still, I just ask that you would fill out uh, your name, any contact information there, and simply leave that on the seat face down. We can get somebody to talk to you. I can do it. We can get somebody here because it is a normal thing for Christians. Some people call it counseling. The Bible calls it encouragement, exhortation, even rebuke. We all need that. If you need someone to talk to, just fill that out and leave it on the the seat. No one will mess with that. We'll come in and get it later. And also for those of you today, you say, Jeff, I need God in my life. I need to be saved. I'm not even sure if it's real, but I think God is calling me to be saved. Just repent of your sins and ask Jesus to save you. If you need to be baptized, if you want to join this church, if you just need to come here in the front and pray, we're going to invite you to do that. Father, would you take control of this time and give the ones courage to get up out of their seat and come forward. The ones who need to make commitments for you when we begin to sing. In Jesus' name, amen.